All right, hi everybody. Welcome to another episode of Movie Fixers with Matt and Tony. I'm Matt. And I am Tony. <laughs> That's not really funny. Anyway. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, I guess so. In this podcast, we like to not just uh, critique movies, we like to take movies we think, you know, fell flat, but, but had potential and fix them up and say, like, what could have made them maybe not great, but at least bearable. Right. Remember, if you remember from our first episode, tolerable is what we're going for here. And I think we achieved that pretty well with our last film, Twilight. And Matt, this, uh, this next film was, was your idea. You'd seen it and recommended it to me. Why don't you tell everybody what, what we watched? Cool. Yeah, we are, uh, we are doing a movie called Snatched today. I saw it back when it first came out into theaters. The trailer looked semi-interesting. Um, it had Goldie Hawn in it, so I was like... I really like Goldie Hawn, huge fan of First Wives Club, like a lot of her early stuff. I love Death Becomes Her. So the idea that she was in another comedy, I think 15 years since her last movie, that got my attention, you know, by itself. But yeah, so this movie opened in 2017. Uh, a couple quick things about it. It does have a 36 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 4 on IMDb. It didn't generally get received well, I think, by the public or by critics. Um, yeah, it didn't do too great in the box office either. It made just about, it made just about its budget, budget from what we can tell. It was about a $42 million film. It made just over that. And, you know, who knows? That never always includes all its advertising dollars and everything. So it's entirely possible this movie didn't even break even. Wow. Shame. Uh, well, Matt, you saw this one and felt like it could measure up. I wasn't necessarily interested at first, but how about since since I've seen it a little bit fresher, I've seen it like kind of with fresher eyes maybe, I give like what I think the story was? Sure, yeah. Yeah, for those of you who haven't seen it, there's Amy Schumer's character, Emily, has planned a trip to Ecuador. We start out learning that right away. However, things immediately start going wrong because she wanted to go with her boyfriend who... Mm and very quickly has broken up with her, and now she's got these non-refundable tickets to Ecuador that she needs to, she still wants to go, and she's trying to find someone else to take. This turns out, we figure out really quickly, she doesn't have a lot of people wanting to go with her, she's not extremely popular with her friends, and so she, with dealing with the breakup, is spending time with her mom, and you know, her mom's kind of, is played by Goldie Hawn, I, not remember her name because they say it so infrequently they just keep calling her mom and oh her character name her character oh, lord yeah. i don't know yeah well let's just say goldie hunter mom linda linda there linda honey listen yeah and so <laughs> mom's a bit um kind of a worry wart kind of a gotta be prepared gotta have a plan for everything whereas amy schumer's character emily is more of the uh you know just carefree I, I describe her as the cliche of a millennial. When someone's called a millennial, this personality is what they're talking about. I don't, I don't actually believe in that cliche. Sure, but, but I think you're right. It's definitely that cliche. She's, she's very whiny. She's very, why is this happening to me? She's very socially, like always on the social networks. Constantly, I, what, does anybody have bars here? Does anybody yeah. have signal? You know, but that that you're you're absolutely right in that description. That is the cliche stereotypical. And while grieving with her breakup uh, with her boyfriend in her, in her mom's home, kind of going back home, she finds an old photo album that shows her mom like out traveling the world in different countries and things like that. And thinks, 
I, I believe she thinks, this is the impression I got, she doesn't say or really do anything mm -hmm. exactly like this. This is the mom I want to get to know. Let me take that mom to Ecuador and maybe we'll get along better. And she convinces her mom to go. They end up in Ecuador, but they, you know, mom wants to stay by the pool. Mom wants to stay in the hotel room, keep it safe. Emily wants to go out and party. And so she's looking to have a good time. And she does. She conveniently finds a really, you know, good looking, I guess he's Australian accent looking guy. He has one of those, mm -hmm. one of those accents. Yeah. One of those pretty guy accents. And he takes her out and, you know, shows her out on the town and she has a great time. And so the next day they're going to hang out and... She's going to bring her mom, and they're both riding around in remote parts of the country that he's supposed to show them. And oh no, they get captured by. They get taken forward. They get, yeah, they get with snatched. No, with no Liam Neeson. They get snatched, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that's. This is all just going topsy turvy. I'd say we're about maybe a third in the movie when that happens. And yeah, a third to a half. It's definitely. That's the setup and the premise of the movie is they get snatched. That's probably, that's probably why they named the movie that. Whoa. Look at you catching on. <laughs> so the next bit, uh, they actually get away fairly quickly. And Amy Schumer, as character Emily, actually uh, just in a panic is struggling with one of the kidnappers and smacks him with a shovel. And. There's, there's actually a bit of blood, which I didn't expect, and he kind of rolls over and doesn't get up while they get in the back of a, a, a vegetable truck and, and sneak away. And, that's yeah. the, and, and through the process of the, uh, them escaping from these kidnappers who are now chasing them more in like a vengeance vendetta, the, the leader is like, that was my only nephew. Well, it's important to point out that they were taken for ransom because mm -hmm. um, that introduces the brother character that we're going to definitely talk about here in a minute. Um, the whole ransom thing goes kind of south because they do escape. Um, and then, I mean, most of the rest of the movie is them continuing to escape, realizing they're not even in the country they thought they were. They've, they've been transported further away mm -hmm. and that they've got to figure... They, they do get a hold of the American uh, embassy or the American... Uh, oh, who do they get a hold of? Oh, my God. That's, it's in my notes. They, he says the name of whatever organization they are once and it doesn't make... It almost says, like, you just called the United States. Something like that. You call the United States and they really said, vague. They, there's, a, there's nothing we can really do for you. You've got to get to the embassy in Bogota. And they're mm. like, that's super far away. Can't you send in some choppers? And he's like, that's not how any of this yeah, works. We, we don't just roll our army in for Right. So for then, they, then they spend most of the rest of the movie trying to get there. Hijinks ensue. Mm -hmm. Some bonding. They end up them? getting snatched again at some point. Real, yeah, that's the well, story. Well, I mean, what happens is is, is they, the kidnappers catch up with them. Goldie Hawn basically sacrifices herself so Emily Schumer's, Amy Schumer's character, Emily, can get away. Mm -hmm. And then she gets to the embassy but realizes they're not really going to be able to do anything to help. So she contacts probably two of the best characters in the movie, which are these people they met at the hotel resort. That One is ex-Special Ops, played by the amazing Joan Cusack. Right. Who, is who a, delivers not a single line of dialogue in the entire film, and yet is the uh, yeah. most amazing character in the whole movie. And Joe Cusack's translator slash great friend, played slash by... definitely her wife. Yeah. Right. They, <laughs> right. They, they never quite say it, which I think is a weird yeah. choice, but we'll get to that in a minute anyways. But yeah, Wanda Sykes and Joan Cusack played by Wanda Sykes, are these two amazing characters in this movie that mm -hmm. we could have stood to see more so of. So they, they that's get the, with, well, the, the, just to wrap it all up, they get with Amy Schumer and they go back to rescue Willie Hahn and they do. 
And they don't though. They That's not how do. it ends. I mean, well, okay, they don't all three do. They there it ends up coming down to Amy Schumer's character in the end because she loses her backup. Sure. They, okay, uh, well, I mean, we've got the the gist of the plot out. I don't we don't have to get all in the weeds on it right now. But that oh. that is the that is the the summary. That's not a brief summary of the movie. That's a that's a longer than a brief summary of the movie. <laughs> Sorry. I'll work on that in future episodes on the brief part. It's but. all good, but let's let's go ahead and move on to uh, what what did our initial impressions. I know when I saw the movie, um, I remember the whole reason I picked this movie for an episode was we were on our way home from the theater, and I kept thinking about all these things they could have done different, and the movie could have been better, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's it, this real. I mean, full disclosure, this is the movie that that kind of made me want to do this podcast. Wow! Because it, we we were so frustrated on the way home from the theater about all these missteps. It felt like, and what you know, it's a very simple story. You know, again, it's taken, mm-hmm. you know, taken six or whatever with a, yeah. <laughs> with a different cast. But the truth is it's, it's a simple story that done well could be a good movie, but this just really wasn't. So my initial take was it has some good laughs. I did laugh, genuinely laugh a few times, but more than not, I was just frustrated with a lot of the missed opportunities in that movie. A lot of the underutilized, Story elements, underutilized actors in the movie. Yeah, that was my first take. What was your takeaway when you watched it the first time? Because you've watched it twice. <laughs> and that's not a requirement for this show. <laughs> no, but, but I wanted to... I, my first take on this movie, let's focus on my first take, and then maybe later I'll talk about why I watched it twice. My first take on this movie was lots of groaning, and just, just kind of a... Uh, All right, Tina. Yeah, and... I, I honestly felt like I was going to ask you, why are we doing this movie? Like, the idea is it's supposed to be a movie that could be redeemable, that, that could have potential, and I just, I didn't see anything in this movie worth salvaging at first. And then I thought about it, and I started, just like you said, like, what could be different, what could change, what could you keep? And as I did that, I really started to appreciate what the movie was, could have done. And it just completely failed at it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I... I did not like this movie at all, but I do feel like it has potential. And I think part of the reason for that, and part of the reason I watched it twice, is uh, comedy, of course, is very subjective. Let me go ahead and just drop this right here for everyone. Comedy is subjective. If you like this movie and you think it's great, when I say it's bad, when I say it's not funny, or any particular part isn't funny that you found funny, that's fine. You are perfectly welcome to disagree with me. I am not telling you you're wrong or horrible. I'm just going to start saying from here on out, when I say something is not funny, what I mean is I don't believe it's funny. And I had a whole list of things I wrote down, just tropes that I didn't think were funny. I wrote, being annoying as a character does not equal funny. I wrote, incompetence in a character does not equal funny. Being pathetic or awkward as a character does not equal funny. And then, after I wrote all that, I stopped and went, but wait, what movies do I think are funny, and do they have any of those things in it? And the answer is yes. And so, for me, that whole list of things I said isn't funny, it can be funny, and I think there's one thing that's really crucial to it being funny that just did not happen in this movie at all, and doesn't happen in a lot of comedies lately, I feel like. And that is... I'm going to call it the production value, but when I say production value, it doesn't necessarily mean the budget. 
uh, an example where it would mean the budget or just the grandiose. Spaceballs. I love Mel Brooks Spaceballs. In Mel Brooks Spaceballs, there's a part where they go to like ludicrous speed, which is crazy light speed, and Rick Moranis, who's kind of this short, dumpy Darth Vader, gets like flown into a console at high speeds and it crushes his oversized helmet and he's just goofy. That that scene cr cracks me up today. And I think it fit all the things. A lot of the things I just said aren't funny are in that. Mm -hmm. But that bit was big, it was loud, and they were committed to it. It it sold. Uh, but it doesn't have to be big staging. Another example, I'm going to use Mel Brooks again just because I love Mel Brooks and it's easy, Young Frankenstein. There's a bit where the Frankenstein's monster starts choking Dr. Frankenstein and he has to do this basically like three words, you know, to like get Igor and, and his He's assistant. He's doing charades. He's doing charades, thank you. Three, you know, charades to get them to understand to give him a sedative. And it, go, it goes on for a while. Like that joke takes a minute and I am laughing the whole time. And why? Because all of the actors committed to that role. The, the, their production was great. In this movie, I feel like it was it was either lazily done or it was just kind of half-heartedly done. There was no commitment to the characters. It was just like, this is funny because it is. I, I mean, I kind of see what you're saying. I think, to me, it's about vulnerability. I think com comedy, comedic actors, comedic performances need vulnerability. I think what makes that Rick Moranis joke work is he makes himself vulnerable. He makes himself truly... Um, pathetic whereas in this movie a lot of the Amy Schumer pathetic plays feel like a ploy for laughs they feel like she's trying to get the laughs and she's not being genuine and I think that that's so important when you're especially when you're doing like I mean I I think there's a whole school of this and like clown you know performing like when you're doing the sad clown mm -hmm. you've got to be the sad clown for it to actually be funny Okay. And I don't think Amy really sold that in this movie. No, she was more. Trying. She was trying to get the like the 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 very beginning of the movie starts with these two scenes that are I think meant to illustrate why she's sad or why she's pathetic. She gets fired from her job and she her boyfriend breaks up with her. And in both scenes, you don't feel anything for her. You know, it doesn't feel like in the job scene that she's trying and just not quite hitting the mark. It feels like she's purposely being kind of terrible at her job. So when she gets fired, you're like, yep, she kind of deserved to be fired. I don't even feel bad for you there. And then in the next scene with her boyfriend, while he's kind of a tool and he makes a whole joke about how he wants to, he wants to break up basically because he wants to have sex with lots and lots of other women. Mm -hmm. It, You don't feel bad for her because she doesn't, she doesn't show that she feels even really sad about it. She she kind of plays it sad. She mm -hmm. plays it this kind of like well, she, Saturday Night Live sketch version of sad. But, you know, there's the, the whole bit about like, we're on different levels. I'm up here and you're down here. And she keeps trying to make this joke like, no, I'm up here with you too. I'm up here with you too. And it doesn't come across as genuinely sad. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you don't feel bad that she she's not with this guy anymore. And you can't build any sort of comedy on that when you don't have any feelings for your character. I, I like that. That's, that's a good point. That, that may be more of what I was feeling, too. And, and you just, at the end, yeah, if you don't care about what happens to her based on her own actions, then... Uh, I think it's the first and one of the most important you know, sins this movie makes is 
everything sort of hinges on you having some sort of investment in Amy Schumer's character and caring about her succeeding or growing, but they don't do any work at the beginning of setting that up for you. So everything for the rest of the film feels feels really thin. Mm -hmm. You know, you have some moments that almost start to feel like like real change in growth with her mom, but I, I put all that on Goldie Hawn. I mean, I, I obviously profess to be a big fan of hers, but I, I'll give Goldie Hawn credit in this movie the 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 you know scary few scenes that she's in in this movie I feel like she really gives gives her best right. she's given us real Goldie Hawn and you kind of feel more for her I think than than you do for Amy and that I mean I'm I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself that's definitely one of my fixes that I want to talk about but um, do we want to talk specifically about you know, what things didn't work, what things we liked. Like, where do, what do we want to talk about next? Yeah, uh, well, I've got a few things that just fell flat. I think once we list these out, and this will kind of like sum up the rest of the movie for us here and for the audience that some of you may not have seen and what we're talking about. So, obviously, the main character had no redeeming qualities is what I put down, and that's that's everything that you've just covered. No need to go into that, but... Uh, you know, to follow up on that, most of the jokes are at the expense of the main character. So a lot of the humor later on in the movie is just bad things that happen to her. And I think it goes right back in. Like at one point, she passes out because she's got a tapeworm, and she wakes up in this small doctor's this small village where there's a doctor. And all he can all they can talk about for thirty seconds is how when they they found her originally, she had shat herself. And they just said so much shit. There was just so much shit. And I was like, they kept trying to drive this idea you don't even see it which mm -hmm. actually thank god but <laughs> there, there are these jokes where like they reference something that happened off shot that you never see and it's always usually at her expense and it's it's just not funny and so i i think again they you've already covered it but that just that just kept happening and it would just fall flat uh, the, and she never has, the other thing I, I think, her character never has like an actual growth moment. Like she gets closer to her mom at the end. She appreciates her mom more. But nothing about her shows that she's learned anything about herself or her own lifestyle. Like there's nothing that says when all this is over that she's not going to go back to being the same person. Right. She has one, what I felt, and I think we both talked about this, one like shoehorned in moment of growth where they're in the village and she sees all the women working together to bring the water into the village. Mm -hmm. And her mom's like, well, we need to get going. And she goes, no, mom, let's wait a minute. I think I want to help. And you're like, okay, like good for you for having one little selfless moment in this movie, but it, it's not enough to make me feel like, oh, she's really grown and changed as a character. Yeah. The other thing that I would say fell flat, doesn't necessarily have to be taken out of the movie, is at one point they're going through the jungle and they've got a American guide who at first seems like he's really like in it and knows the environment, but really he's just a manager from Trader Joe's who's been there three weeks and is diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, he's a real, I, I think he's a really funny setup for a character. They think they've met Croc Dundee. Mm -hmm. They think they've met this wild man who knows the woods. It's gonna get them to Bogota and they're so excited about it. And then they have this great scene where he reveals that he's only been out here for three weeks. And, you know, you find out at one point his hat's from JCPenney. Like, yeah. it's a great setup for a comedic character. But once again, it would have worked more if instead of just like an offhanded line about 
he found out he has cancer and he's about to die. Like, make his character vulnerable. Make mm-hmm. his character interesting. Like, not one, just a joke, not just I, a one-off It's pun. funny you bring him up because he's the the thing that, again, made me want to do this movie. His The underutilizing... This character is played by Christopher Maloney, who a lot of people know from Oz and, I think, Law and & Order. And, like, he's been in everything. He's this really great actor who, in his, like what feels like 30 seconds on screen, does a really great job. Mm-hmm. But, spoiler, they kill him off super fast, and it's not even worth it. Like, the the bit of him dying mm-hmm. doesn't really he's, work. He's because supposed we aren't to swing invested across a ravine with a vine. And yeah, then he, he tries to Georgia the jungle. And, and, you, and there's this big ravine, and you know it's not going to work. And I guess since it was obvious that it wasn't going to work, I wish it would have been more spectacular. This goes back to my whole production of the yeah. Instead, he just mm-hmm. swings, it snaps, and he falls. And it's okay because he had cancer, I guess, and was going to die anyway. And they, they just met him, I guess. And, and they're exhausted from their trip, so they don't really But react. he also did totally save them, like, the night before. And they yeah. don't even... I don't know. It, he was such a great opportunity to me to be a, a nice little, like maybe even semi-romantic foil to Goldie Hawn's character. Mm-hmm. Like, they could have really fleshed that character out into something interesting, and he still could have died. Like, he still could have died in the movie, and he still could have died spectacularly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why introduce this great character, this great actor into your movie, and then kill him off so quickly when you've got some great opportunities for him to 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 for him to grow, for him to go from being this guy who doesn't actually... There's a scene you pointed out where she jokingly, or he makes a joke about how, like, who knew it was going to take so long to, to light all that wet wood? Mm-hmm. Like, and it sounded like it would have been a hilarious scene to watch Christopher Maloney trying real hard to be that outdoorsy man and light this fire for these two women, and it's wet wood. You know, it would have been such a great scene to see, but instead we get it, like, Offhanded to us after the fact. Well, and that scene even gives us more on Goldie Hunt because he he does that was a good job. He's talking to Goldie Hunt about you lighting that fire. Who knew I was going to have that much trouble with it this time? Mm-hmm. So obviously Goldie Hunt has got some sort of handiness that we don't see. Whereas there was a whole bit that maybe could have been funny, maybe yeah. not on the. One would have been a great. A development moment if mm-hmm. again if we wanted to treat him like a romantic foil to her mm-hmm. that scene of her like stepping in and actually lighting the fire could have been a great scene for them uh it's funny you say that because you say obviously she has some sort of skills earlier in the film and you mentioned this the photo album it's all these pictures of her traveling and it's all just pictures of her by herself mm-hmm. what i think would have been more interesting is if in at least some of the pictures it was her and like her daughter right and there could have been this moment of thinking, like, we used to be so close, oh, we're not anymore. Yeah. Set that up early. Maybe make that the drive instead of just this pathetic thing. Make that the drive for, like, I should take my mom. You know, she used to be fun. We used to do stuff together. We don't anymore. And it's just such a missed opportunity. Another, in that same scene, the, the ugly cat statue. I've got to talk about this ugly cat statue for a second. Okay. Because I hate this scene so much. The, um, Goldie <laughs> well, Hawn talks about how she does actually leave the house. To clarify, we're, we're back at the scene where Amy Schumer's character is trying to convince her mom, Goldie Hawn, to go on the trip To go on her. the trip to Ecuador. Yeah. And she says something about how you never leave the house. And she says, well, of course I leave the house. I go to the YMCA and I take pottery classes. And they reference this really, honestly, kind of ugly clay cat statue that she's made. And the scene bothered me both times I watched this movie because it was such, again, a missed opportunity. Amy's character makes this like whole big thing about how like we, I, I thought we agreed to never talk about that hideous thing. And like, she's just so disparaging towards her. And it would have been such a better moment, I think, for her to be like, 
well, you, you know, I love it because I love you. Like it would have yeah. been just such so much nicer of a moment. The thing is, Amy's never nice in this movie ever. No, not really. And because she's never they nice. They kind of force it with the, the only time she's ever kind of nice is when the cute boy flirts with her at the bar. Yeah. And even then she's a little weird about it. Mm-hmm. But because she's never, never, never nice, you just you feel nothing for her. Right. You know? I will say in that scene, there's just one part I would keep. She has to give the motivational speech to get her mom to go. And she does what seems like an actual scripted monologue of why mm-hmm. she should go. And at one point, I, I can't even do the whole speech. At one point, she just sort of, in her big buildup, she just sort of like, without even taking a beat, points at the statue and goes, no. And then goes right back into her whole thing, mm-hmm. her whole spiel of motivation. And I, I, I laughed. I actually did laugh. I just thought that was that was good delivery. But it was also the one time when her character really tried to have some sort of gravitas. Right. Well, and you make a really good point here. It It's one of the few scenes that felt not just scripted, but like second and third drafted, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of this movie that absolutely plays as kind of offhanded improv and I'm not saying that can't work in movies. Obviously, there's lots of great examples of movies where they clearly improved half the damn thing and it worked great. It just didn't in this movie. It kind of feels like some of these scenes are just a series of, like again, Saturday Night Live kind of sketches, which you know inherently isn't a bad thing, but sketches work a lot of times because they're a sketch. They're a two to three minute sketch. They don't. You can't really tie a bunch of those together and that's enough to make a movie work. I agree. So, all of that said, there's one more thing I really just want to bring up that we've we mentioned briefly, but we just need to go ahead and address it. You'll notice we've talked about this whole movie, and you haven't seen it right now, if you haven't seen the movie, I feel like we've given you everything in this movie that gives you the story. However, there's about 15 to 20 minutes of this movie based on a whole other character that is probably the worst thing ever. And this is something I would just like surgically remove from the film. And that is, uh, I don't know the actor's name and I don't want to hate him. I've got it pulled up right here. Okay, what is it? Uh, You know, I say that, I had it pulled up. Well, Matt's pulling it up. So we mentioned that Amy Schumer's character has a brother. This is a son for Goldie Hawn's character and he's a full grown man. I mean, they're both in like their 30s, I suppose. And yeah, they never really say, but they're definitely at least in their late 20s, if not in their 30s. And he is agoraphobic. He's, so they claim, but they never really address that. As I anything. mean, they say it. They say he's agoraphobic, so he lives with his mom. And she basically mothers him like a man in his 30s living with his mother still. I think he teaches piano, we see at one point, because he's teaching piano when he gets the call from the kidnappers about the ransom. And then... After they call the person from the U.S. consulate or embassy or U.S. whatever who tells them they've got to get to the embassy before they can get help, you think that's enough, but this... Well, the, the very first ransom phone call goes to the brother. Right, the he first He picks ransom. up the phone, and the guy in Ecuador says, you know, we have your mom and your, your sister, you know, give us this much money, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, he, machismo, says, I don't know who you are, but F off, blah, blah, blah. And then the guy has their passports and says, well, their names are Linda and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, and his character is is very much what I wrote the whole like pathetic and awkward, just being pathetic and awkward by itself isn't funny. He's very frumpy or dumpy looking. He's, 
he again acts much like a child would that never mm. left his parents' house, and it's just what? he he then starts to get in a fight not with the kidnappers they never communicate again, but with the guy from the U.S. consulate who had told the girls the women where to go, and this fight being that you need to go help, and basically his whole purpose is to annoy this guy into using like you know the, the army full or force the, the full United force States of the United States military. military. To go get them. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, he technically does, but they show up by the time the women are fine. And so it... Uh, sort it, of. It, yeah, and, and even then, it's just this big spectacle. Every scene is this over-the-top spectacle with him, which, again, makes him completely unlikable. At no point well, do you What bothers me the most him. about his character is, A, he's not funny, mm-hmm. and B, he's not really necessary. You could have, You could have definitely written a different way for that for his character's purpose to be implemented mm-hmm. in the movie but if he is supposed to be agoraphobic and he is supposed to have an actual like psychological disorder is that your joke like is your joke that he has a psychological disorder because that's even less funny than him just being irritated. right i think the joke was is that that's his excuse for behaving the way he does because once again mm-hmm. the joke seems to be he's another cliche millennial Maybe. I think that's being very kind. I think, because they even say something about him being agoraphobic. Right, but I think and if they that's never had the case, then it's, like I said, it's even less funny if they're making fun of an actual That would like, be horrible. Yeah, I, I didn't think that. That would be horrible if that's really what they were doing. Because they were just, you know, he had all like the, the nerdy tropes. He knew how to speak Klingon. He knew how to make all the dork references. Which was extra bothersome because they make a joke about how he... Because he says, what, do you speak Spanish? He goes, no, but I speak Dothraki and Klingon. And then he, his character literally just starts spouting gibberish. He doesn't even actually speak Klingon or Dothraki. As a dork, I'm offended by right. that. Right, as an actual <laughs> straight-up nerd, it's like if you're going to paint him in that light, then have the actor, have the character actually do it and mm-hmm. not just rattle it off. It was just... That would have been semi-impressive and at least built some sort of like attachment to the characters, not yeah. just being a, a one-off joke, not just... Uh, I don't know. So we can go on about this guy all day. He shouldn't be in the movie. Nothing right. against the, the actor is, personally. He didn't really I to look add at the actor, anything but... at all to the movie. Mm-hmm. And I it would have been a actor, much but... better thing if it was just a mother-daughter story. And if if, if we want to use that as our segue, I I'd, I'd love to talk about the, how that's my first fix on the movie. Okay. Um, let me say this though, because we before we go into segues, we've we've really beat on this movie. What worked for you? What 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 things were good? Because I've got a, a decent list here. What worked for me? Okay, um, well, my list probably isn't super long, but I can say, like I said earlier, I think the Roger character, Christopher Maloney, sort of worked. He worked in so much as I liked his character, I liked the potential for his character, but again, half-baked, underdeveloped. Okay. Same with the Barb and whoever, the Wanda Sykes and Joan Cusack. Great ideas for a character. They had some genuinely funny moments. But they weren't. They were very underutilized in the movie. I liked the location. I mean, they filmed this whole thing in Hawaii, and I remember thinking at one point there's a bit where uh, Amy and and her mom and the 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 sort of not boyfriend, but the the guy they meet there are in the, his jeep, and they're going through kind of the Ecuador countryside, which is in fact Hawaii, but still. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, this is a pretty movie. Like there's some scenes that are genuinely like really pretty. So that was really working for me. There were some great music choices in the movie where I just felt like they, you know, when they go to that party in the tree at one point, they've got this song and she's doing capoeira. 
Like the, the music choices really fit what they were doing. And I just, I think there were definitely some beats that worked. There were some, I mean, we both admit there were some jokes that actually worked in the mm-hmm. movie. But it was kind of too few and far between on those jokes. So the things I liked that we haven't mentioned so far, um, first thing being Goldie Hawn, just in general. I know that's a I can't believe I didn't mention that. Right. I think it's so obvious that's so, why I didn't mention it. Let me say what I liked. I liked the idea of her, as a, of her daughter desiring to get to know her mom as a person. I like that storyline. I like that. Did that make that made me start to attach to them? Oh, you want to know you're an adult now. You want to go out and get to know your parent as a person, not just your parent. I get that. Later on, when they start kind of like going off on each other and start that bonding moment through fighting, Goldie Hawn starts to recognize that she has a bit of a after her her husband left her, she sort of shut down as a person and just focused on being a mom. Mm-hmm. This was information given to us very quickly, but it's still there. And she starts to realize that she became a bit of a codependent on her children because she had no social life outside of that. She was just all about her children, and that's why she's okay with her like 34-year-old son still living with her, and she mm-hmm. like butters his toast. It's, it's, it's a good acknowledgement. It shows real character growth to like see these things and recognize, okay, maybe these aren't the best things, but this was what I am, and now I have to deal with that. Uh, on a more fun side, I like a lot of the throwback jokes. Uh, but especially the, you were talking about the capoeira dance. I like the bit where Amy Schumer's character tries to do it and kicks somebody in the face. Mm-hmm. And then they, because she's trying to do like a flip and then, you know, she comes back later and that's how she knocks out the lead kidnapper guy right. is by kind of doing the same capoeira. And, and it's a good physical humor gag. Like, it's, and it's, it's a good, good callback. Yeah, it's, it's a good, excellent callback. And it's good impact. It was funny the first time. Mm-hmm. And you, but you, and you're not really expecting it necessarily the second time, and and they don't play it to death. It's not mm-hmm. like she does that capoeira kick thing seven times in the movie, or by the end you just hate it. So this builds into the thing that I really liked about it, and we'll later go into my big thing in the fix. One of the things we haven't mentioned is, or sort of mentioned, is that Emily has a really good just knack at killing these kidnappers accidentally, or unintentionally, just in the sheer yeah. panic of the moment. And this kit kind of reminds me of that. She is unintentionally really effective at killing select versions of these guys. In the beginning, she kills the nephew of the lead kidnapper. While they're running and struggling, she just grabs a shovel and bam! And I was like, oh, oh, that guy's dead. Like, it's not like the Three Stooges hit. And later she gets a harpoon gun to try and scare them off, but accidentally fires it, and it hits a guy in the neck, who then falls back into a fire pit and catches fire. And the lead kidnapper looks at the guy who's been shot in the neck and goes, my only son <laughs> and he does it in such a way see but that's that's like that's funny. going back that's like a mel brooks joke yeah what you're describing feels like a mel brooks joke it means it's delivered well and you it's care delivered well and the, the i mean that's one thing that i'll give for like her attackers the mm-hmm. the 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 trafficker the ransom guy is like he plays so genuine he mm-hmm. plays that because he plays that's evil. like the kind of the secret i think almost of comedy is like you've got to sell it and Amy kind of feels like she's half-assing most of these. Well, that's what Mel Brooks says, is the reason his stuff's funny is because they always play it straight. Yeah. They always play it seriously, and in, that's where the humor comes out. One but, of my favorite, going back to the whole shovel to the head bit, mm-hmm. one of the th- funnier bits is right after that, she's looking at her mom, she's looking at Linda, and she's like, he's, he's probably okay, right? And she, she's like, no, I saw brains, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Emily's like, why can't you just be supportive and make me feel better? <laughs> right. 
I do like that about the mom. I do like that about Linda's character is that she does not like pull punches. She always sells it straight. No, he did. No, he's dead. You're right. That's that whole series of her being strangely effective at killing these guys mm-hmm. is, is actually, it plays, it's funny. It's gonna come into my, my fix later, but then the last thing just to reinforce, Joan Cusack is amazing, Be- and I think for all the reasons we say, she takes her character seriously. I, I only wish, I, I'm not, I like Wanda Sykes, and I thought she was fine in this movie. I wish Joan Cusack, because the whole thing is her character cut out her tongue so she could never be like captured and interrogated to talk, which they do immediately call out like, well, what if they forced her to write stuff down? And it just sort of like, mm-hmm. it was almost funny, but it, it really bothered me because I'm like, you mean Joan Cusack's not going to talk in this movie? Because I love Joan Cusack. Yeah. I mean, anything with her brother, anything where she's not with her brother, I love her. She's great. She's amazing. Why didn't she not get the talk? Because she was just, she was so kooky. And, and she's always kooky, but she was like extra good kooky in this. Yeah. Well, I think it was great because she's paired off with Wanda Sykes who's kind of known for being a talker. Like, that's a character she always plays. Mm -hmm. So having her and having Joan Cusack and Wanda Sykes playing, again, what's inherently a couple, even though they never actually say it. But I guess that's the joke. Maybe. Like, that's what I think they were going for, is that they're not a couple, but they're absolutely a couple, and that's supposed to be funny by itself. Maybe that's the problem, is the jokes, we don't even know if it's a joke. Like, is the agoraphobia the joke? Is it not? Is are sure. them being a couple yeah. a joke? Is it not? Like, is them, is them playing at lesbian, but not being a lesbian? Is that a joke by itself? It just doesn't really... And it makes you wonder, where is the humor, humor supposed to register? Are you supposed exactly. to be laughing at them or laughing with them? It... But yeah, it... it Anyways, it works with, with Wanda and Joan being paired up together because Wanda does all the talking. You know, she's a talker. And Joan just gets to be the physical comedy goddess that she is. You know, she's... Like, what's the first scene? She's by the pool and she's, like, testing the water. Like, she was doing something. And it was yeah. just... The, the whole physical mannerism of what she was doing was hilarious. She wasn't delivering a single line of dialogue. But she was stealing the scene. Her faces were priceless. Absolutely. Her like weird hand signals, like tuck and rolls. It was so good. All fun. So bef- I know we need to go into fixes. We're, we're running long on this one. But real quick, there are just a few restrictions we, th- we noticed kind of fell on this movie. Really just one, but a couple other good notes that I want to mention mm-hmm. that we should take into consideration. Um, one of them, you found this, which is that Amy Schumer during the shoot was hospitalized with chronic bronchitis during the film which shut down production for at least a week. It was which, at least a week. And, you know, which is a lot killer. of these movies only shoot for four weeks or five weeks or whatever, and that can really put a hamper on if they had other... And you're not allowed to necessarily make up, just make up that time. You usually have to cut stuff. Mm-hmm. So we can't... I'd say, like, our thing is, is we can't try and make this any longer. But I think it's going to be easy because we're going to cut out the brother's role entirely, so we'll get that time back. Right. Well, and also... And add on. more Joan Cusack and, and Wanda Sykes, so maybe they could have filled up some, some space and speaking role. Uh, the other thing, and I think this was just a good positive thing, so the studio, and I don't remember who did it, but we don't have to list them, who wanted to make this movie originally did not want Goldie Hawn in the film. They didn't think she was going to be right for it, mm-hmm. which... Yeah, we don't know what they were thinking. They, I don't know. I mean, was she been, irrelevant? Was she too old? We don't know. Yeah. For whatever reason, the studio didn't want Goldie Hawn. So Amy Schumer, though, insisted and even threatened to leave the project if Goldie Hawn was on there. And I was like, Amy Schumer, like, recognize talent and, and put mm-hmm. it in your movie. And uh, so, so this, is, this one's not really a thing. I just think it's funny. Somebody found kind of like a whoops in the plot line. The whole idea is the reason she takes her mom to Ecuador, she has non-refundable tickets that... 
she can't get her money back on, so she has to take somebody, but non-refundable tickets, like especially when going out of the country, are not transferable. So she, this whole thing would, technically wouldn't have worked, but I was like, who cares? Huh. It, it's one of those things, it's, it's cute to know, but it's, it's not really relevant. Right, it's you, a movie. You, yeah, you sh- that's, that's when you just like let it go. But, all right, let's, let's fix this movie, Matt. Okay, I think it's about damn time. All right, uh, do you want to patch up, add your patches? I've got, I've got like one big sort of, this is what we should do, and I'll try and summarize it better than I did the movie itself. So my big fix, the biggest fix for this movie is to kind of shift the perspective uh, this movie starts very much from Amy Schumer's character's perspective, and it's kind of like her movie. She's the she's the viewfinder. She's the lens for this whole thing, and her whole relationship with her mom is considered like her relationship with her mom, and so on and so forth. If to me, they could have either done one of two things: they could have either swapped it completely and made it more Goldie Hawn's character's story, made it about her having these you know two rotten kids and you know being older and reminiscing about when she used to travel and do fun things and whatever and then she's if she saw this you know that her daughter you know had this extra ticket to ecuador and and even you know amy still could have like talked her into it a bit but again if we shifted to her perspective that she finally realizes like this is a good idea this is a good idea for me to reconnect with my daughter for me to grow more as a person Make it more of her story. I think it would have been infinitely better because she's so red, like easily relatable when we first meet her. Even though she's the the old crazy cat lady that doesn't leave the house, you still feel for her. You know, you've got her two kids over for dinner, arguing in the other room, and you know, you see her just like trying to make them dinner and feeling exhausted, and like you feel for her in that moment in a way that you never ever feel for Amy in this movie at all. But you also could have done more with Amy in the beginning. You know, they they, they kind of set up this whole alcohol, alcoholism thing in the very beginning, but it's played off as just like a joke. Like, something like that Like she's could, a party girl. Yeah, that's just drinking way too much and, and whatnot. They could have set that up as one of a few things that she recognizes she needs to work on. And and incorporate that into the growth of her character. They don't set anything up for her to change or that she wants to change in the beginning. So by identifying, like, she wants to be a better person to her mom. She wants to be nicer to her brother. She wants to drink less. She wants, like, set something up, set up a goal for her. She doesn't have a goal in the beginning. And do you think if we if we add these extra, like, layers to her character that we could keep a lot of the existing humor and it would hit better? Absolutely. I think so many of these jokes in this movie that didn't land would have had a better chance at landing if we felt any sort of, I don't even, not pity, just like, we need to, we need a reason to root for our main character. Right. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this a thousand times. We kind of need that in every movie for the most part, unless someone's just really breaking the mold just right. But in general, especially with these comedies, you need a reason to root for him. You need a reason. You want that Jamaican bobsled team to win the Olympics. Mm-hmm. That's why the, the jokes are funny, because you want them to win. You never want Amy to win in this movie. You want Goldie Hawn's character to win. You want her to succeed, but she's not the focal point. So you get your like little bits and pieces with her, but you know, 
there's the whole scene where they wake up the first time in the, the, the cell or the room or whatever, and Amy comes to and sees her mom over there reading a, ma- reading a you find out she's reading a of, porn. This is one of my favorite bits. She's convincing herself that she's reading like a Southern Living or something well, she, like that. It's Goldie Hawn, so she, did, she does the scene so well. She's just there really calm when Amy Schumer wakes up and is like freaking out that they've been kidnapped and in a cell, and she's just playing it cool. Like I'm over here thinking, Oh my god, is she about to turn out to be like a secret badass or something and kill mm-hmm. everybody? And but no, she's just trying to calm herself down, and she knows that freaking out's like it. But again, in this moment, you feel for her. You you see that she, what she's doing. She's trying to like center herself and calm down. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I feel for you. I I hope that you succeed in this goal. Whereas Amy comes to and she starts freaking out because she has this this moment where she realizes she doesn't have her phone on her, and she's like, I don't have my phone. And again, it plays kind of like sketch comedy and not it's the real joke. vulnerable comedy. So you don't care. You don't go, oh my God, she doesn't have her phone. You go, okay, she doesn't have her She's phone. She's being annoying again. And it's, it's just that tone that doesn't quite work. Um, my other two patches, all of these kind of involve less Amy and more other people, but... I mean, hey, sorry, not sorry about it. This was a, a great time. I think, like I said earlier, the Roger character, Christopher Maloney's character, I think he could have been really fleshed out to something more interesting. He could have played a bigger role in their um, in their bonding. Uh, and, and again, if we switch the, the focus to Goldie Hawn's character a little bit more, mm-hmm. then her playing up that she's still a woman. She's still someone that you know, can be interesting to someone and can still help other people, can still help Roger. I think that would have been an interesting route to take. And I, one of my biggest fix, fixes by far is more Joan Cusack and Wanda Sykes. They set those characters up. We don't see them for a super, super long time. They get reintroduced back into the movie. You think they're going to be like this big part of this this ending, but they end up they end up, uh, they're, they're trying of infiltrating this base to try and save Goldie Hawn's character. Mm-hmm. And they roll down this rooftop, land on this bus, and the bus drives off, then they're gone again. They mm-hmm. aren't, they're not even there. We don't see them at the end end, do we? That's it. No, the last thing we see in, of them in the movie is after everything's already resolved, it's nighttime somewhere. That's right. And the bus pulls up, they roll off and like run off into the woods. And that's the last we see of them. Again, so underutilized. These great characters they set up mm-hmm. could have been such a bigger part of their escape slash saving uh, Goldie Hawn's character. Just underutilized characters all around. You had Christopher Maloney, you had Joan Cusack, Wanda Sykes, you had all these great characters. Didn't use them well enough. Okay, I, I agree 100%. In fact, I, I think in what I want to do, we, we could definitely incorporate everything you just said, except uh, I want to try and keep the fix on Amy Schumer's character, and I think I know how to do that. Um, she definitely is going to start out as, as bad as she is, just, just really unlikable. That's got to change over the course of the movie. But there's going to be a bit more, there's going to still be more Goldie Hawn because there's going to be a, a more obvious dichotomy between them. Something I may have sort of created from what little information we were gotten is Amy Schumer's character is very erratic. She just does whatever, consequences be damned. They always catch up to her, but, but consequences be damned. Versus we see in the beginning Goldie Hawn's character is like, got five deadbolts, stays inside all the time. It's all about being safe. She's also like very kind of like have a plan for everything. So we have that whole carefree, just react versus always have a plan kind of dichotomy. And that's gonna be important 
once they get kidnapped because they already clash in their personalities, but you kind of need both of those things. You need to be able to just react in the moment, but you also need to be able to like stop and think and strategize to get away. But so we're gonna take their escape and make it more. So Amy Schumer is really good at killing these kidnappers, even if it's like accidentally. They're some of my favorite moments. They're very funny. We need more of that. We need them to keep dying in this chase for her and how they keep getting away. We, we can, even when she goes back to rescue her mom, she needs to kill more of them, even if accidentally, in the attempts to do this. Like, I would be happy if, like, at the end, when they, you know, her mom's in this building that all the people are in, all the, the kidnapper-type people are in, and their whole operation's at, what if at one point they're running and Amy Schumer's flailing and hits a thing, causes an explosion of, like, a propane tank that flies into a bunch of, you know, ammunition, and then just the whole base explodes? That by the time... What happens in the, in the actual movie is when the, the lead villain finally catches up to him, it's actually kind of violent. Like he like punches through the, the door of the car, the car window, pulls her out like very violently, which is sort of a different kind of violence than we've seen. It was actually kind of more real and gritty. What if it, we kept that comical stuff? What if by the time he got up to her, he's like scared of her? Like his, whatever surviving men are left are scared of her because they think she's a freaking ninja killer. <laughs> Because she's just been accidentally killing people. But at the same time, while she's running with her mom, she's learning that her mom's right. All of this carefree nonsense, this I don't care what happens, I don't want to think too hard about it attitude, it's part of what's causing their trouble. But then mom has to recognize that part of the reason they're also able to get out of it is because she doesn't freak out and freeze up when there's no plan, or her daughter doesn't freak out and freeze up when there's no plan. So they have to both learn to be more like the other one and appreciate some of the qualities in the other one. And I thought, you know, you talk about Amy Schumer's character not being terribly like likable at all, like, or, or just caring. Like she, she has that one bit in the small village where she's helping put, bring water to the well and she starts to learn. What if we, we, we take this more of an attack on human tra trafficking? What if at some point it's not just Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn running away? What if they run across more people these kidnappers have and she wants to stop and risk their own safety to save them? She's like, no, this is wrong. She finds a purpose. Right, and stands up. So this is my bit at the end. And of course, we still, again, more Joan Cusack and Wanda Sykes, but where I want them is at the end end. At the end, it's one year later, they're back in Ecuador, they're, they're just dancing and having fun, and this guy comes up to hit on her, and she's like, oh yeah, cool, but she wants to go hang out with her mom. No, what I want to do is this. This guy comes up to hit, and there was no indication that this guy was going to kidnap them. It was just... He was just a guy there to basically let her say lines like, yeah, I'm with my mom because she's a badass. Right. And it was like, okay, that's sweet. But what if we kind of play it out like the last time? Mm -hmm. She ends up in the truck going to some remote place. It's all looking like she hasn't learned anything. She's about to do it all again. And right as the kidnapping starts to happen, like her car gets hit. You know, you think she's knocked out. All these people start surrounding her. Then all of a sudden, a whole other strike team led by Joan Cusack and Wanda Sykes come out and take all these guys out. And while the the kid, the guy in the car who set the whole thing up is freaking out, like, what's going on? There's Amy Schumer, like, actually awake, knocking him out because now she's gotten a job as basically being, like, the bait for this spec ops team. To yeah, like, I like this. She's she's finally found a purpose. Her purpose to like take it because she and she accidentally maybe doesn't kill him because that's too violent, but does just in in the attempts of trying to cuff him or something, accidentally sets off the airbag and like breaks his nose or something horrible, right? Because this guy's a shithead, right? And we like bad things happening to shitheads, and and her just accidentally being awesome at this, and she sort of finds her purpose. But 
I don't know, I was just like, wouldn't that be so much cooler? We'd get more Joan Cusack and Wanda Sykes. Their character would connect everything mm -hmm. because they met these crazy like spec ops people. Well, it's just Joan Cusack, but I like to think that Wanda Sykes would be in it too. Absolutely. Yeah, and it just and it would be it would be kind of redeeming because again, my initial fear of this movie was it was going to make too light of human trafficking, which is a serious thing, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. It, it really doesn't. It, it sort of, but just, it also sort of never really gets into that. Yeah, it that. skips over it entirely. So I'm like, let's not make light of it. Let's, because they're not snatched for the purpose of being sold into human slavery. They're snatched for a ransom. Yeah, well, it's so made very clear that they're not attractive enough to be sold into Oh, yeah, that's like one of the running jokes. Your, your chubby cheeks will keep you safe. And yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that's... That's horrible. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that would be the, the best, like, kind of one-two punch back at that. Is yeah. saying, like, not only are we going to, like address it, but we're going to kick its ass. Because that's, you know, that's kind of something fun you can do in a comedy, is take something horrible and just show it being, like, obliterated. And maybe that's not real, but it's definitely, I think, more empowering. No, I like that. And I think, I think we could actually meld a bit of both of what we're saying here, because maybe not what I said, maybe not shift the focus entirely to being um, from Linda's perspective, mm -hmm. but maybe just split the focus better. Maybe tell Linda's story of needing to get out and tell Emily's story of not having any sort of purpose in her life. You can kind of satisfy the Emily storyline with what you're saying, but by giving Linda more focus and more of like a lens in this story, mm -hmm. then you get to develop that Again, at the core of this movie, there's this mother-daughter relationship that wants so badly to be better than it is. Mm -hmm. Like, you as a viewer want it to be more. You want these, this mother and daughter to reconnect and be close. And it all feels very on the surface and not They never dive into real. it, like you said. And, but and I, think we could, I think that's fixable. Well, and they both have, I mean, they have, like, different personalities. There's that dichotomy there. But what they have in common is neither of them really know who their identity is separately. So Amy Schumer's character is just, you know, the free-for-all millennial, has no direction in life. But Goldie Hawn's character flat out says she's been just a mom so long, now that she's got two grown kids, she hasn't stopped to figure out who she is anymore. Mm -hmm. And and that's a, that's a real thing that has like, and there's nothing wrong with being a mom or even just a mom, especially a single mom. Like that should be heralded. Her husband skipped out and she raised two kids. Good honor. Yeah, maybe she came out a little confused at the end. That shouldn't be a thing that makes her look like she's bad. That's like, that's okay. I don't want to hate on her for that. You know, I want to say, but now it's also okay for you to have to figure it out and, and have to work at that. And that mm -hmm. would have been so much cooler and could have had so many fun. You get Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Even in that movie, she delivered good, good performances. It could have been so much better. Absolutely. Well... Let's 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 do our pitch. Let's do our final pitch for this film because I think what we've both said put together, we've got something worth worth. All right. Watching. So, do you want to start off? I'll start it. So, Linda is a septuagenarian mom who has been a mom as long as she can remember, and that's the only thing she knows how to be. Mm -hmm. And she's got two brats of a kid, maybe one brat of a kid, depending on how we decide to do this movie. Right and needs a change in her life. Emily, her daughter, is a very cliche, stereotypical millennial who is in her early 30s and can't keep a job, can't keep a, joy, a boyfriend, feels lacking in her purpose in life, feels like she doesn't have anything working for her, and also feels like the whole world's against her. Mm -hmm. And she's, at the very beginning of this film, again, she's got her boyfriend that breaks up with her and they'd had plans to go on this trip, 
and she and her mom, Linda, decide to take this trip together because they both really need it. Yeah? Yeah. So, so far, we're still sort of on the same page as the original movie. We're and just sort of splitting still the focus the a little time. bit better. Yeah, and they were arguing a lot because, again, their personalities are different. One is carefree, one is very meticulous. Mm -hmm. That can still be the thing. You've got a little bit of an odd couple thing going on. Yeah. It kind of works. So anyways, they get to Ecuador. You want to pick it up from there? Yeah, they get to Ecuador. And again, I see a lot of it in the beginning playing out similar, maybe with less crude jokes. I, I mean, but mm. the idea is, is one wants to go out and party, one wants to sit by the pool. We still can set up Joan Cusack and Wanda Sykes being the, the kind of spec ops couple. I like that. They're the spec ops couple. I like that. And, you know, or special ops, not, you know, not them damn regular ops, as she says. But well, what would be cool here is... Again, we have Amy do her thing. She goes out with the guy that she meets at the bar. Exactly. Because there's a whole scene where Wanda Sykes' character and Joan Cusack, the Spec Ops couple, warn her not to go with this guy. Are you giving me danger eyes? That yeah. whole scene. It's a funny scene. But while she does that, instead of completely omitting Linda's perspective for the rest of the evening, mm -hmm. maybe Linda does dinner with Spec Ops couple. Mm -hmm. And we get to learn a little bit more about those characters. We get to learn a little bit more about Linda. And that's, again... Infuse more Linda in the beginning, and I think a lot of this starts to come together better. But then she grudgingly follows her daughter on the next date. They mm -hmm. still get kidnapped. So, like, this is where the learning should have happened when it didn't. So mm -hmm. when Amy Schumer gets, like, kidnapped, like, obviously she freaks out, but she's got to see her mom being calm. So that's, like, where she should start learning how to be more like her mom. And then when they she makes the call to run, that's when mm -hmm. her mom's going to see, like, oh, gee, if we hadn't have ran when we did... It wouldn't have, even though we didn't have a plan, it wouldn't have worked out so well. Like, you know what would be a cool moment here is if we did see a scene where Linda and Spec Ops couple like hang out and do dinner or whatever. Maybe Wanda Sykes or you know whoever, maybe one of them starts teaching her some basic survival techniques that mm -hmm. end up coming into play. So when the whole lighting of fire comes up, she just learned how to do it the night before. That would be fun throwback. Like yeah. that'd be such a great little callback tie-in to this mm -hmm. character growth. Like, she's leaving the house. She's learning things. She's meeting people. Look, these skills are coming into play. And Amy Schumer's character is helpful because she's just killing kidnappers accidentally. Because yeah. she know, learned learning... Caballero. And, and, <laughs> right, and, and becoming more aware of this, this other world. Like, she's only known her world of social media and shopping and mm -hmm. boyfriends. And seeing this whole other side of, not, they're in Columbia at this point, where things are not awesome. And, you know, there's, like, an appreciation for what her life was and uh, just an anger at what life is for, like, women in this, these places. And, and that's slowly building. It doesn't just happen, but it slowly builds sure. to why she makes choices later. But she starts to see the world mm -hmm. and not her phone. Exactly. You know? I like that. So there, there's because they took her phone. Right. We feel so bad they took her right. phone. But they took the... my phone. It's almost that joke's funnier mm -hmm. when you start to, like, put that into perspective. And now she's able to see the world. Yeah. I like that. Well, and then we get that Linda growth that we really need. That, mm -hmm. You know, she's she's been a recluse. She's been in the house. She's made some new friends now. She's learning some life skills. She's actually like building fires mm -hmm. and and taking care of her daughter. And seeing and also, but also seeing her daughter like do help with things too. I mean, every time she takes out a kidnapper, says, "No, mom, we've got to run and forget the plan." When they get away, it means mm -hmm. okay, she was right. Yeah, she didn't have it all figured out, but she could. Her daughter can work on the fly. Her daughter can survive. And learning to trust your kid to be able to take care of themselves has got to be a huge thing for a parent. Like that sort of ability to let go that she's never been able to do. I like this. In this pitch of the movie, we can omit the Roger character entirely. Unfortunately. Yeah, he was nice, but yeah. Well, I originally liked the idea of him being in as like 
if Linda's this character that always needs someone to take care of, Roger could be that new person. Mm -hmm. But I like more of her growing and realizing she doesn't have, she just has to take care of herself. And watching her daughter learn to take care of herself means she can move on from that and grow from that. And one of the things that happened in the movie that should stay was that Goldie Hawn was always extreme. Like I said, she was no-nonsense. She was always just critical, told it like it was. Amy Schumer's character takes that to mean her mom doesn't love her. And then later when her mom sacrifices herself for her, she learns that wasn't true. Yeah. And that was a good moment. We keep that. Yeah. That stays. We can still we can omit the brother entirely. At oh this yeah. Point. We're saving and, time because we can we can just have it say, have it. Because the only thing his character really does at this point mm -hmm. is contact the, the, the embassy or the whatever. If we have the, the spec ops couple just tell Linda at one point, like, well, you know, if you ever get lost, just get to the closest embassy or whatever. Or, it, or yeah, there's that. Or if we needed to, the kidnapper could call the embassy for the, for the ransom directly. Saying I have these two American citizens, True. blah blah blah. I mean, it doesn't. I think not we can get rid of the whole ransom story and, and, like you said, go with the human trafficking story. Oh, take them in there. Yeah, have that, would that be, be heavy. why they were taken. Mm -hmm. But then they they escape, and we have everything happen that we've just said. And I like what you said about at the end. We go, we, you know, one year later, we're back in Bogota. We're back, not in Bogota. We're back mm -hmm. in Colombia or wherever we are. The guy comes up to her at the bar. The setup feels so familiar. She hasn't learned? What? And she's like, has she really not learned anything? And she gets snatched again, but instead of instead of everything going how it did last time, we find out it was all a setup because they're taking it down. And she's found her purpose now. Mm -hmm. Linda's gotten out of the house. She's grown. Mm -hmm. You know, she's still good gal pals with our, you know, spec ops couple. Right. She doesn't have to be doing all like the, the spec ops part, but she could definitely be like around and there and yeah, she worried could, about her daughter. She could be at still. the bar. Yeah, or yeah, or, or worried about herself even. Yeah, no, I like it. I still rewind How just it a could little. end with her at the end with, after, you know, they've taken down this whole group of people. Mm -hmm. She calls her mom or something. Her mom's still at the bar. Like, how did it go? Like, we did it. We took them down. I'll see you tonight. I'm so mm -hmm. glad you're here to visit. And that's like our heartfelt yeah. like music swells kind of moment obligatory dance moment obligatory because they had a fucking dance scene so we're gonna have two. one they've had two yeah they did have two you're them right back together at the end obligatory dance scene i do want to rewind and say i am I'm, i would be really adamant about when she goes to rescue her mom that there it's grander there's more more killing of kidnappers accidentally Agreed. Agreed. through just happenstance to the point where again everybody starts to wonder is this well and you know what we can she even found have her the same bit happen where spec ops couple mm -hmm. gets driven off by accident, but not quite so soon. Yeah. Like have them be more involved there at the very beginning, but then towards like the final act, right? The final boss fight is when they get removed from the picture. So it's all in Linda and Emily. They're the, they're the ones that have to take down, you know, the final boss, so to speak. Yeah. I dig it. I think we fixed this movie. I want to watch this movie now. Yeah. I want to <laughs> direct this movie. <laughs> right. Action scenes. Well, Tony, what were your final? What are your final thoughts on this whole experience? From me telling you to watch this movie, <laughs> from you saying, "Really, this movie?" Uh, honestly, my final thoughts were: I, I don't know what isn't possible to fix at this point. I'm kind of feeling on a high with these two. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of questioning it. Like, did we just get lucky? Because I was, I got out of the movie watching it. Like, ugh, what are we even gonna do with this? Can we just chuck it and watch something I like? And then to going, no, wait. I think I could like this movie. 
I'm almost more frustrated now that it doesn't exist the way we want it to. Absolutely. But well, I think I think as we go on with this, we're gonna we're gonna really test these abilities because you're right. Both of these movies were, were kind of they felt a little unfixable at times, but I in the end I think we, we came up with something good. I think it was next a, week is going to be a real test. Oh god, next week. <laughs> no, I just wanted to give you props for this recommendation real quick on this episode, and now we can go into next week. So so there's some backstory, there's some back history to our feelings on this movie. Can mm. I explain this? Uh, absolutely. So Matt, uh, you more than me, but also me is a or you're a big Michael Crichton fan. Absolutely. And I've got a tattoo of the the cover of the original Jurassic Park novel. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Michael Crichton. And I, I've read a few of them too. One of them I read was a book you stressed for me to read because the movie was coming out. And this was a while back when we were a little bit more naive and, mm-hmm. and just didn't know better. So I read the book, Timeline. I know you all thought I was about to say Last World, but really, it's this book that Michael Crichton wrote called Timeline. And I fell in love with it. I liked the amount of detail, the authenticity, the fact that his bibliography section rivaled most nonfiction books. It's like 20 pages long. And I was into all it and all the characters. And specifically about how, like, the whole concept is is they go back in time to, like, the medieval-ish period, and nothing's like they thought it was. It's not like, you know, Disney costumes and big slow-moving nights and all this sort of stuff. Everything was nothing how, like, all these experts of the field could even imagine it, and their minds were blown. Mm -hmm. And then we watched the movie. Mm. Mm. Yes. (laughs) It's important to point out, we were both pretty stoked for this movie. This was back, like you said, we were naive. This is back when we thought movie adaptations were inherently good and not inherently evil. (laughs) And we went in thinking, like, this book is so freaking good. There's no way this movie's gonna be a like. We didn't. Even, it wasn't even like a possibility to us that this was gonna be a bomb, and it. Oh man, it was. It was so disappointing. It was so everything the book wasn't. And if you're interested in why, you can definitely tune in next week, and we will give you a very heartfelt. <laughs> Absolutely, I can't recommend enough reading the book. Uh, especially if you like two of my favorite things, history and quantum mechanics, which is really the best way to describe timeline. Michael Crichton has a knack for taking time out of his narrative to just kind of explain concepts, both scientific and historical. And you know, he'll start. He'll he'll talk at one point about how some characters running through a, uh, uh, a what's it? What do they call it? Where they use lime to like dye or to strip leather of like all the organic materials. A tannery? A tannery, that's what I'm looking for. So he, you know, there's one point where a character's about to run through a tannery, but before he can get through the tannery, he wants to explain how tanning actually works. (laughs) And he has a reason for it. It feels like he's putting a big like pause button on the action, but really he's explaining a concept because something's about to happen and he wants you to know why that's important. You may not be selling the book to people, but that's okay. You don't have to read the book. I'm I pretty sure- I feel like sure I'm selling it to people that are gonna really like I'm this I'm pretty book. sure we're gonna give you a lot of what happened in the book. Of course, it's been years since I've read it, so that may be more you than me. Maybe, I don't know. I, I really like that book a lot. But yeah, so that's our, our episode next week. Uh, guys, please be sure to comment on on uh, these episodes. We really want to know what you guys are thinking. You can, yeah, you can give us your opinion on, on how did you like our fix uh, for Snatched. You can also comment on um, what do you think of Timeline if you see slash remember it. Mm-hmm. You can always... You and can... hell, you can, if you've still got thoughts that you've been brewing on 
for Twilight, let us know in the mm -hmm. comments. We just want to know what you guys are thinking about the podcast, the movies that we're picking, movies that you think you guys should definitely fix this movie. Let us know that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just always, again, thanks for listening. Uh, we also want to thank, uh, I guess, the people that helped make this possible, our executive producers, Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. Uh, Who are totally also our spouses. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but they make really great executive producers. And um, Nick Aducci for getting us this uh, this artwork you're seeing, these caricatures of us. And Absolutely. We're still working on that. We we give them notes and then go, oh yeah, we're airing the next episode tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah, we're really great clients. Yeah, sorry about that, Nick, but we love you and thanks for commenting, Nick. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week when we uh, fix timeline. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. See you next week. Bye.